What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today I have a fantastic guest, and I apologize profusely if I mispronounce his name. I've been practicing. And as somebody with the last name Boutte, I always, always, always try to pronounce last names correctly. All right. But my guest today is Jakob Mchangama. All right. So he is an amazing, amazing person who uh, is fighting for uh, free speech. And usually we see people from the United States um, talking a lot about free speech, but um, Jakob is actually from, I believe, Denmark. And he just wrote a book that came out called A History of Free Speech. And when I saw this book, I was like, okay, this is something I'm you know, curious about. And I hate, <laughs> I hate reading history books. And this isn't anything against history books. Like, I understand uh, a lot of the value of, of books about history, but I just have so many weird issues. And I've been talking to a lot of people trying to understand, you know, and learn more about like how I can get more into books about history. But with that being said, Jakob's book is just fantastic. All right. I really enjoyed it. And maybe it's because I'm really interested in the topic of free speech. And you'll hear us talk about this in this conversation about uh, his book. It's like, there's something uh, within within just uh, human nature where we want to censor other people that we disagree with. And this is something I catch myself doing all the time, whether it's, you know, hate speech, misinformation, whatever it is. I'm like, no, just get it out of here. Like, why are we allowing people to say hateful or incorrect or wrong things, right? So I purposely read books on free speech because it's it's almost like, we have to, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? So I need these reminders of why uh, uh, censoring is not a good idea. Like in the short term, it makes a lot of sense, but in the long term, it is just absolutely terrible. And these are some of the things that Jakob and I talk about in this discussion as we go through the history of free speech and the different uh, you know stories that he talks about. And we discuss, you know, what what is this about human nature, why free speech is so important. We talk about, you know, uh something that's been coming up for the last, you know, two years throughout COVID, which is misinformation. And, you know, I am somebody, uh, those of you who follow the podcast, you know I bring a lot of uh authors on here who are skeptics, who talk about science denial and so many other things. And yeah, like, uh, you know, my instinct is like, you know, just get this stuff off the internet, but it's not always that simple. So I'm super glad that uh, Jakob was able to come on to the podcast and chat about his book. It is out now. It just came out last, it just came out last week. He's been doing his round. So I wanted to release this episode this week while things calm down because it's such an important book. So make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following him over on Twitter, grab a copy of his book. Um, because like I said, like all of us, all of us, every single one of us, me, you, and if you're denying it, don't you do it. There are things that we don't want to be said. So this is why these books are so damn important. So make sure you grab a copy. All right. But before we get started, if you're new here, make sure you're following and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and if you've been around and you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor, 
take two seconds. You can even do it while you're listening to the podcast. That's how beautiful this is. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. All right. So you can multitask. You can listen to our conversation and leave a rating and review. Stuff like that helps out a ton. And I really appreciate it. And if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. So not only so you uh, don't miss any upcoming episodes, but you'll also get a sneak peek at who's coming on. After I record, I usually uh, say, hey, just recorded with this person. It's coming up. And this morning, actually, speaking of free speech, I actually uh, chatted with the one and only Greg Lukianoff. All right, about his book, The Coddling of the American Mind with Jonathan Haidt. So that'll be coming in a couple of weeks. But if you're following me on uh, Twitter, you already knew that. All right. <laughs> but anyways, here's my conversation with Jakob Mchengaba about his brand new book, A History of Free Speech. All right. Hello, Jacob. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. And uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you sending me an early copy of uh, the book. Uh, the topic, free speech, is something that I'm very, very interested in. So, uh, yeah, before we dive into the book, for those who have yet to meet you, can you give us a little bit of uh, your background? Yeah, so uh, I was born uh, in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, uh, my mother's Danish. My father is from the Comoro Islands in, in East Africa. Um, uh, I'm a lawyer by, uh, mm. by education. Uh, uh, but uh, for a long time, I've been working in, uh, in the think tank business. Uh, and uh, eight years ago, I, I founded a think tank called Justitia, which is... Uh, uh, which I'm also the executive director of and which focuses on, on human rights, civil liberties. And I specifically focus on, on free speech, um, mm. both, uh, but more, 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 more from a sort of global perspective. Got it. So, you know, out of curiosity, cause, uh, you know, I'm familiar with free speech because the United States and they're like first amendment and all that, what is free speech like in Denmark? Like, is there any, like some similarities differences or how is how is that yeah uh well so yeah you know if you want the whole story uh, <laughs> I, I i i can i can go down a, the, the rabbit hole you know then <laughs> denmark is is one you know globally denmark is is uh um you know by objective measures obviously i'm i'm, I'm not completely objective uh i, <laughs> I tend to be uh to 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 like my my home country, but uh, you know, up by up, objective measures, Denmark is one of the the most advanced and open democracies uh, in the world, mm-hmm. um, and also the one that gives a high level of protection to free speech. But it wasn't always uh, the case. So Denmark only got a constitution in 1849. Before mm. that, it was an absolutist monarchy and also a uh, a strictly Lutheran uh, state, so um, so so that so so there was sort of a uh, very very strict limits uh, on what you could say uh, politically mm. and, uh, and 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 religiously, and there was uh, pre-publication censorship. But actually, Denmark in, became in 1770 the first country in the world to uh, explicitly 
uh, and uh, formally abolish any and all censorship. So, so there ah. was this uh, this German doctor who became a physician for our mentally ill king, and mm. uh, he not only slept with the queen, he also uh, basically took over power, and he was this Enlightenment radical. So he sort of. Uh, you know, abolished torture, released political pris prisoners, and he also just with a stroke of a pen abolished any and all censorship uh, huh. in Denmark uh, until he was uh, uh, arrested and had his head chopped off, and then uh, free speech restrictions were were reintroduced. Um, but but uh, but but since then, you know, since Denmark became a democracy. Um, and I would say, especially in the time after World War II, Denmark has been a very open democracy. We do have stricter limits on what can be said than in the U.S. We don't have mm. um, constitutional or legal protections that that resemble the First Amendment, or at least the First Amendment as it is interpreted currently by by the by the Supreme Court. Mm. Uh, so we have laws against hate speech uh, and uh, and 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 the like. Uh, but but compared to, for instance, Germany and France. Uh, and uh, we, we don't have as strict limits on, on free speech as, as, as those countries. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. So, uh, yeah, I'm always, I'm always interested in what makes people interested in a certain topic. So this book laying out the history of free speech, uh, why, why were you drawn to this specific subject? Any particular reason? Yeah. I, you know, growing up in Denmark, um, when I was, uh, you know, young, uh, I took free speech for granted. It wasn't really something that it was a bit like breathing the air, right? Because yeah. it wasn't, you know, in the in the '90s and, and early 2000s, uh, it seemed like democracy and freedom would just uh, would 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 uh, march on and uh, conquer the world, and and there were no real real threats. But then in 2005. Uh, as you and some of your listeners may remember, there was a Danish newspaper that published some cartoons depicting mm -hmm. Prophet Muhammad. And that led to a global uh, battle of values over the relationship between free speech and religion and, and, and forced Danes and, and myself to really think about what free speech means. Uh, is it uh, really as important a principle? And, you know, what are the limits? And, and some people thought that these cartoons uh, were not a responsible exercise of free speech because they were punching down on a minority. Um, mm. um, um, and and I, I, I found that uh, a, a dangerous uh, attitude because, you know, in my opinion, you know, um, the, the beneficiaries of free speech really are minorities, uh, first and foremost, in the history yeah. of free speech. Uh, so yeah. if, you're a, if you're a Muslim in Denmark, the one of the reasons why you can practice your faith uh and you know read your religious literature and so on is is is, is free speech and, and and religious freedom that that go hand in hand so yeah. if you if, if as a minority you start arguing for limits on free speech uh you basically uh, you're playing a dangerous game because you're only a majority away from those uh, laws being being targeted at you rather than someone else and actually we saw that happen in denmark where a number of laws have been targeted at at radical islamists um and but which has sort of given collateral damage to 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 free speech um yeah. so so but so the whole cartoon affair became sort of um really the driver for my uh, 
for, for my interest and obsession with free speech. And I yeah. think, you know, it, in many ways, trying to understand where this principle came from, you know, what has it, what, you know, who, what has been the consequences of, of, of free speech, who, who have been arguing for it, uh, what has been the, 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 the benefits, what has been the, the, the harms and costs mm -hmm. uh, are, are crucial to, to some of the current debates uh, about free speech. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I tweeted this out the other day, right before finishing it. Like I'm not, you know, uh, usually in the history, uh, in the books, like kind of discussing history, but as I was reading the book, like uh, kind of like you mentioned, like I, I was like, man, so many of us take free speech for granted, right? Like it's just like breathing air. And as I'm reading the book and the history of it, I'm like, man, like we've come so far. And this is such like, like this is, you know, it's something we should be grateful for. But when, when discussing how like minorities have been targeted, right, for censorship of free speech, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you go through the history of the book and you kind of get towards modern times, but I've, it seems like I've noticed this shift maybe in the last 10 years or even less where it seems like, uh, uh, minority populations, not just, you know, racial minorities, but also like LGBTQ community and, you know, all these things. It feels like it's reversed where these small populations are, are more fighting for limiting speech. And I'm just curious your thoughts, like, why do you think this happened? Do you think that they, they're not quite, uh, you know, aware of the history? Because like you said, when this stuff starts, when censorship starts to happen, they're going to be on the wrong end of this thing. And it just, it, it really doesn't feel like people understand that. So I'm just curious why you think we're, we're seeing this shift and what's going on. Well, I definitely think there's a lack, general lack of awareness of, of the history of free speech. And, you know, I don't say that to sort of lecture people, because even though I have spent a lot of time arguing for, for free speech, uh, I, I also, uh, was ignorant about much of the history of free speech before I really started delving into it. And, yeah. and, uh, so, 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 uh, so, so that's, you know, not, not surprising. Um, but I think, I think, um, intolerance is in some way hardwired into the human brain, uh -huh. uh, and, and, and sort of, um, free speech is, is, is counterintuitive, uh, and, um, it's not an easy principle to uphold for human beings on a, on a, on a consistent and principled basis. So whenever you fear something or fear someone, um, there's going to be a strong urge to want to, uh, subject them to, to intolerance, including limitations on what they can say, because you perceive their ideas as constituting a threat to you. But I also think, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a paradox in the sense that, you know, African-Americans, LGBTQ community, uh, for instance, relied on the practice and principle of free speech to uh, stake a, a claim for equality and justice uh, in America, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. And without free speech, I think it's very doubtful that the progress that has been made would have been made uh, to the, to, to the same extent. In, in fact, one of the key reasons why the first amendment, uh, has such strong free speech protections is because of a, of a number of landmark victories won by the, by, by the civil rights movement, yeah. uh, in the fifties and sixties, where they were sort of subjected and harassed by 
by sort of Jim Crow laws that limited their right to peaceful protest uh, and 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 so on. Um, uh, um, but when you then uh, have access to power, um, then you tend to want to use that power mm. to protect your own interests, and, and and that's not you know that's not limited to particular minorities. That's that's sort of any uh, any group. But but it is a paradox that in in the countries where where minorities uh, are sort of um, uh, have uh, the where, where there's the highest degree of tolerance and and acceptance of minorities those are all, those are also the only countries where minorities are likely to have uh, to be successful in lobbying for for hate speech restrictions because if you go to russia or if you go even to hungary or poland where for instance um lgbt community is 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 treated with 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 hostility and intolerance there you'll see free speech restrictions being targeted at the lgbt uh, community so so in many ways you know uh, this is of course an overgeneralization but but in many ways you could argue that when whenever a minority or a group has enough political power to uh, to successively lobby for hate speech restrictions, it's a sign that perhaps they don't really need it. Uh, mm. it that, that that doesn't mean that hate crimes don't uh, continue to be a problem. It doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist, uh, or or that you know uh, there are minority groups that continue to be um, uh, underprivileged uh, and discriminated uh, mm -hmm. against. But but it but but it means that they have gained such a high degree of, of, of tolerance and acceptance in, in the general uh, population that they're no longer subject to the same kind of systemic uh, discrimination that, that you'd see in, in the U.S. Uh, before, yeah. uh, before the civil rights era, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And you, you touched on something that I, I think about a lot, which is this weird, like, kind of uh, innate aspect of, of just us, you know, uh, of humans where we, we want to limit speech, right? Like something I, I started doing. So the whole reason I got into this was in 2019, I was canceled on YouTube. And I just, I just started noticing that people wanted to shut down conversations. They didn't want to have a discussion. There's no debate. It felt like, you know, Hey, these things are already decided. We're not even talking. And then I started just diving into free speech, but anyways, uh, I've noticed this within myself, right? So I'm, I'm half black. I hate, hate speech. I hate racism, all these things. Right. And everything in me, like, it's weird. Like this reaction is like, get this person off of social media, get this person silence. Don't let this person talk, you know? And, but in the back of my head, I know how dangerous that can be. So I force myself to read books about free speech and they always remind me why it's it's so important right and you talk about this uh, a bit in the intro of the book like uh i don't know if this is exact quote i had it written down but you said like free speech entropy is not merely uh political but it's deeply rooted in human psychology right yeah so so what 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 do you think that is what is your theories i i know you're not an evolutionary psychologist yeah but, but, <laughs> but what is it where where we we just don't like bad ideas or bad things people say, like we want it to just completely be eliminated, you know? 
Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I guess, and as you rightly point out, you know, I'm just a lawyer, so so what the hell do I know? Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I think you know, if you read work like by by Jonathan Haidt, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you 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 can get uh, also uh, uh, Pamela Paresky uh, uh, has done some interesting work. Um, you know, it it, I think that that in many ways, you know, our uh, human beings are, are not evolved to, 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 uh, to accept free speech, uh, as such, you know, it's, 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 it's an add-on it's, it's a yeah. patch, which has been a hugely successful patch, but it is one that continually needs to be updated, you know, uh, because otherwise it, it becomes incompatible with the original software, uh, which might be a lot more intolerant. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and so, uh, and, and that's why, and, and, you know, I think one, one issue is that free speech is not, you know, unlike religion, for instance, religion is very good at creating social cohesion among, uh, among those who share the same religion, mm. uh, for, uh, for, uh, for instance, uh, patriotism or nationalism, the same is the same thing. Free speech can, can provide, sort of can energize, mobilize, create some social cohesion when you're, when you're fighting the power, when you're being oppressed, uh, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. then you're, you're in the same boat, you you know, you want to fight against, uh, the evil forces of censorship, but once you've sort of reached your goal, then free speech suddenly shows all the, the differences, uh, amongst you. And, and it no longer becomes a, a powerful organizational principle, which can sort of, uh, glue uh a, a, a people together you mm -hmm. need you need something else uh than that it's still hugely important for a successful open democratic society uh um and also for for individual freedom and uh, and dignity and, and and the pursuit of truth but 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 it's not going to be to to be able to afford the same level of of social cohesion that binds the people together that religion or or patriotism or nationalism uh, can yeah and 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 you know you know the, the you know religion of course and patriotism or, or nationalism uh since they are stronger provide a stronger level of social cohesion they necessarily uh, uh, or i don't know necessarily but they can easily uh, I mean, they're also based on, on exclusiveness, right? So you belong to a certain religion. So there are those who are on the inside and then there are the outsiders. Mm. Uh, and, and so if religion or nationalism becomes your, your strongest organizing principle, uh, they can easily tend towards, uh, a, a type of intolerance that, um, where, where, where censorship and restriction of speech becomes, becomes natural. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something, something I, I, I wonder about when it comes to free speech, like in the last, well, I guess since COVID, right? Like we've had COVID and we had the whole, you know, uh, January 6th thing happen here in the United States. Um, so, you know, one of the, one of the main arguments against free speech is like, it, it feels like it's this, this fear 
of bad ideas spreading, right? Like we had the whole like QAnon phenomenon, which is kind of, I don't know, I don't, it got pushed underground because it's been deplatformed everywhere. But, you know, with like COVID conspiracies and just misinformation, all these other things. But anyways, so I, I never know how to phrase this without sounding terrible, all right? But it seems like this fear around bad ideas is that people... People aren't smart enough to take the good ideas over the bad ideas. And I get it because we're emotional. We love confirmation bias and all that. But the argument for free speech is like, hey, let, let all the ideas go out there. The best ones will rise to the top and win, right? But it feels like people are afraid. And I get it. I get it. Like, I have a lot of people on here where we talk about debunking conspiracy theories or, you know, uh, uh, science deniers and all this. So I know how bad ideas can spread. But... Yeah, like why why do you think we're so afraid for bad ideas to spread? And do we have evidence that the good ideas do rise to the top? Like, how do we know we're not just gonna get overwhelmed by these bad ideas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, I think, you know, part part of it is is related to what I said before uh about, you know, free speech being sort of a, a, a patch or an add-on to to our to to our to the software that we're sort of born with uh, and and which can tend towards uh, intolerance, but there's also this uh, inherent conflict within those who generally agree on free speech. So 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 there's an egalitarian free speech model and there's a more elitist free speech model, and and that really goes back to 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 ancient times. So so the egalitarian model has its roots in in the ancient Athenian democracy, whereas the elitist model has its roots in, in Roman, Roman republicanism. Um, and the, the elitist, you know, the egalitarian model basically says that, you know, um, everyone should have an equal vo voice regardless of their education or, or, or status. Uh, uh, whereas the elitist model prefers a public sphere that is uh, shaped by, you know, a well-educated elite uh, acting as sort of uh, institutional gatekeepers, and and which is always afraid of the, if you like, unwashed mob uh, being uh, seduced by lofty rhetoric by by demagogues, and, and mm -hmm. because they 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 can't handle uh, information um, without uh, elitist gatekeepers, uh, and and that is, that that conflict has been. Has sort of morphed along technological advances from you know the printing press to uh, the telegraph to radio and now in here in the digital age which which with, with internet and and social and social media um and uh and and i think of course there's no there's no guarantee that the best that the, the best ideas will always uh win yeah. so so yeah. i i I've, I've never been a big fan of the idea of the marketplace of ideas for one, for one thing, you know, we fundamentally disagree. For instance, when it comes to politics, about what the best ideas are. You know, yeah. if that, you know, if we could objectively assert, ascertain which the best ideas were, we wouldn't really need a, a, a democracy. We could just say, oh, this specific political ideology is the best. So why on earth would we have a democracy where you could vote for something which we can objectively say is inferior? Um, uh, um, but, but, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to think that we, uh, human beings have, have sort of a negativity bias. So we tend to focus much mm. more 
on the harmful uh, uh, aspects of of things uh, than uh, and take the positive uh, things for for granted. Yeah, uh, and we we also tend to perhaps exaggerate the the negative aspects. So, for instance, if you follow traditional media coverage of social media, you would get the idea that that misinformation and hate speech is just everywhere on, on, on social media and the internet. It's, it's, it's what, it, it's, it's what makes up, uh, or most, most takes up most space, but in reality, you know, a, a lot of research actually s- suggests that misinformation and hate speech is, is very limited, you know, in absolute numbers, it's obviously yeah. a lot, but, but as a share, it's, it's a minuscule. And also the idea that sort of misinformation is heavily influencing people and, and, and sort of getting them to accept all kinds of crazy ideas does not really seem to, to bear out. It, it will typically be people who are, who are ideologically, uh, um, motivated to believe certain things. So, mm-hmm. so if you're already a, um, if you're already a hardcore Trump supporter, for instance, you're yeah. more likely to, uh, to fall for, for, for a sort of conspiracy surrounding the election. Uh, so it's not that, uh, that, that, uh, uh, you know, people who were not strong, uh, Trump supporters will suddenly start to believe, yeah. uh, at least, at least not in, in, in mass numbers. And also, you know, um, uh, depending perhaps on, on, on countries and, and things like levels of trust and so on, you know, um, there's there's a recent report about science misinformation by by the British Royal Society and and it's it it shows that in general you know even though there's lots of vaccine misinformation and 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 covid misinformation most people and also about climate change the the vast majority of people actually uh are not vaccine skeptics uh they do believe uh, in uh, in 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 man uh, man made climate change uh, mm-hmm. and so on, but but this but the but but those who peddle misinformation um, have been amplified. Their voices have been ampl- amplified by social media, and so we tend to perhaps exaggerate their reach and 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 their numbers um, because we see them and and we see them as a threat, uh, mm-hmm. but they do not represent. Uh, the majority of people uh, on on social media, even if they're very loud and noisy. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a good transition into this uh, next topic. And and I don't know, like my background's in marketing, so maybe that's why I'm thinking. Of, but this is a great time for your book to come out because everywhere I look, they're talking about Joe Rogan and what's yeah. going on, <laughs> what's going on. So I'm sure as you're doing your rounds, everybody's going to be asking you about this. But but yeah, you just touched on something like I've been having, uh, you know, debates with people about uh, ever since this Joe Rogan controversy uh, really bubbled up, even though, you know, he's had these uh, doctors on for, you know, it was like weeks ago or even like, yeah, back in December. But anyways, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, I love reading books on like uh, political polarization, social media, misinformation. And uh, I, I haven't checked out that new study from the British Royal Society, but from what I've read and come across, there, there doesn't seem to be any evidence that somebody who is, uh, you know, on one side of, uh, you know, a debate just being completely flipped over because they came across misinformation, right? So, for example, the Joe Rogan conversation, uh, I haven't found any data that supports the idea 
that I, that someone's like, I'm going to go get vaccinated. Then all of a sudden they listen to a Joe Rogan podcast and they're like, never mind. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, I have yet to meet anybody like that. I haven't seen any research that backs that idea. So anyways, as somebody who, uh, you know, free speech is your thing, misinformation seems a little bit like a, like a different category of free speech. Right. But like, it's so important. And like, what are, what are some of your overall thoughts on the conversations around Joe Rogan, largest podcast, uh, his responsibility, what should and shouldn't be allowed. You know, there's a whole Spotify component, like they're yeah. the, they're the owners of the platform. And I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts, but what's, what's running through your mind on this whole debate going on? Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't spent a lot of time listening to, to Joe Rogan. Um, but you know, my understanding is that Joe Rogan invites various people on his podcast and he has conversations with them. And, uh, that includes inviting people on that might have controversial views, um, that, that go against, uh, uh mainstream, uh, opinions. And, you know, to me, that's part and parcel of, of free speech. And it's also part and parcel of why, uh, I think social media is, is, is ultimately a good thing is that, you know, there mm. was a time, even though we, we had free speech for all, you had, you know, traditional media who had a privileged access to shape public, uh, opinion. Uh, 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 but that also meant that a lot of voices and perspectives were not, um, were, were, did not have a chance to get out there uh, and get themselves heard. Um, and, and, and I think Joe Rogan, uh, caters to that. And some of it is, 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 is likely going to be, um, ideas that I would disagree strongly with, mm -hmm. but, but that's part and parcel of, of, of free speech. Again, you know, you can, and, and if there, if there are people on Joe Rogan's podcast who have said things that are demonstrably false. Well, then free speech allows you to counter that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, people can write op-eds or articles, uh, saying, uh, what was said on Joe Rogan's, uh, podcast was not true because A, B, and C, uh, but that's very different from, from, from demanding that, that, that Spotify sort of, uh, uh, cancel his, his podcast or, or sort of delete, uh, certain, uh, content. And, you know, when it comes to misinformation, that, 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 that's, uh, I really encourage people to go read the Royal Society report, because on the one hand, the Royal Society reports acknowledges that misinformation can lead to harms. Uh, but on the other hand, they also say that, that banning content and removing content on social media is, is both inefficient and counterproductive. Uh, and also that, you know, science ultimately depends on, uh, on, 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 uh, you know, uh, being contested. Uh, and, 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 and of course, you know, if you look at what health authorities have said about misinformation or, or about COVID, um, they've, 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 they've given wildly conflicting, uh, messages at various times, not mm -hmm. because, not because as some sort of, uh, 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 people, conspiracy minded people think because they're sort of trying to, uh, uh, to mislead, uh, the, 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 the public, but because, you know, you're confronted with a new, uh, with a new virus, with a new, um, uh, disease or, uh, that, that, 
no one really knows, uh, mm -hmm. and, and the science is changing all the time. So of course you're going to get uh, conflicting uh, messages. Who, who, you know, who in in March 2020 had the had, had had the expert knowledge to determine what was true or false when it came to to COVID? You know, yeah. Who who, who would you depend on to to uh, to do that? You know, we, uh, opinions on face masks, for instance, have changed. Um, uh, uh, and, and, and a lot of other things. Uh, so, so we, we, we have to live with that uncertainty. We also have to live with the fact that, that, that there are always going to be the conspiracy minded people, and they're going to try and, and influence people through whatever channels of communications are available to them before you know, the printing press, it was word of mouth. And, you know, that could be, you know, uh, so, so that could be, you know, spreading rumors that Jews were, 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 uh, responsible for the plague, uh, that could, uh, uh or, uh, you know, so, so social media, uh, is, is not unique, uh, in that sense that, that has always been with us. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately I think it, social media still, um, provides a better chance than before of actually getting uh, better, more accurate knowledge, uh, out, uh, to, to people. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a great point when, you know, whenever I'm thinking about, you know, censorship or, you know, whatever, I'm always thinking like, who are we going to put in charge of this? Right. Who is the person who is going to be the arbiter of truth? Who is the one truth teller? Right. And who, then who checks that person? Because, uh, you know, something that happened to me in, uh, was it? Yeah, I think it was 2020. So I think it was like the end of the first year of the pandemic. Um, you know, I originally come from YouTube and there was a QAnon video that had a bunch of COVID conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And, you know, oh, they want you to wear a mask so they can control you, just all sorts of weird stuff, right? And I made a video debunking some of the claims and everything. Well, YouTube's algorithm uh, flagged my video, took it down, and I, I appealed it. And even the human who uh, reviewed the appeal still didn't reverse it, right? And yeah. that's that's immediately where I got a red flag. Like, it took me so much effort. I ended up having to get uh, a few media outlets involved to pressure YouTube and to end up, you know, getting everything reversed. But, yeah, it's had me thinking a lot, especially with misinformation and all these other things. Uh, I'm like, do do we want platforms uh, saying what should and shouldn't be on there because they're, you know, uh, they were created as this kind of like a uh, public square where people just, you know, put information out there and, you know, say what they want to say and all this stuff. But anyways, uh, you're a lawyer, right? Um, <laughs> we're always talking about, I know at least here in the United States, we're always talking about regulation or potential regulations for social media platforms. And I just don't know what the ideal scenario is, right? Because the algorithms we do know push uh, polarizing things, things that are going to generate engagement, keep people on the platform, keep them arguing, keep them fighting, and all that. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like, what's what's your perspective on how much responsibility social media platforms should have, and should they be limiting this misinformation or hate speech or you know outside of their normal guidelines? Like, is it something you think the government should step in on? No, uh, you know, there are social media uh, platforms will 
you know, will necessarily have to have some kind of of, of rules uh, and, and and guidelines. But what we're seeing increasingly is that governments tend to pressure them to, uh, in Europe, they actually adopt laws to remove illegal content within very strict deadlines. So for instance, 24 hours. Mm. And that, that cre- creates a clear incentive to remove um, more than required. So, so remove all kinds of, of, of categories that are not necessarily legal, but just uh, controversial, sort of uh, awful but lawful uh, content. Uh, and that, I think, has uh, negative consequences for for uh, the practical exercise of free speech, uh, even uh, even if it, it it might not necessarily be uh, against legal standards, that that the, the the platforms act in 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 such a manner because because they're private platforms and and can from the outset uh, adopt their own terms, um, uh, and and you know this problem is then compounded by the fact that the very strict deadlines for content removals. Um, and, and of course, just the sheer scale of the platforms with, mm. with their numbers of users means that they adopt automated content moderation. So, uh, you, they'll have these, uh, algorithms for, for searching and destroying, uh, yeah. content that violate their terms, uh, and which means a lot of content is identified and removed, uh, with no, with no human uh, point of contact. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, AI is developing all the time, but when it comes to certain categories like misinformation or, or hate speech, context is really crucial and it's very, very difficult for AI to, uh, to, to determine whether, you know, a slur is used, uh, in a, uh, in, in a, in a, in a satirical manner, or maybe it's a minority using a slur to appropriate them for themselves or to, to expose a racist, uh, or, or, or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so that means. There's a generally uh, a, a, a huge danger of of um, of collateral damage to uh, to to perfectly uh, legal uh, speech. Yeah, yeah, and uh, something I I ask everybody, I, like I have Greg Luki on off. He's uh, he'll be on in a couple of weeks too, so I'm gonna ask him. But whenever I'm talking about free speech, I was gonna ask, like, you know, uh, do you think there or is there? any scenario where censorship, you know, is like justified, right? Like where speech should be limited, uh, you know, like for example, with the January 6th thing that happened here, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're uh, still going after Trump for things that he said, right? Because it's hard, it seems like it's hard to, uh, prove that speech led to some sort of violence, right? Like you influence somebody else. So, you know, like that pops in my head, like should that kind of speech be like limited and, you know, and all that. But I'm curious from your perspective, researching all this history, like, are you like, is it like free speech absolutist? Like everything goes, or are there certain instances where it might be justified? Like you mentioned, like for certain laws when it comes to content and stuff like that. But as far as just saying something, yeah, when it comes to the government, I, I tend to uh, I, I tend to think that sort of mere viewpoints any should not be should not be punished. So so basically, you can hold the worst ideas in the world. Mm. Uh, so where where whereas but so you, for instance, you can uh, you can believe that uh, a race is inferior, and you should be allowed to say that, even though I've. 
I, 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 I disagree strongly. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can, you can, you know, have a, a strong anti-Muslim or anti-Semitic views, but I would not, I would say that the government has a, has a duty to intervene if you're standing outside a mosque or a synagogue and you're yelling at a crowd to go get the, the Muslims or the Jews, because there you're, you're, you're inciting uh, uh, imminent violence. So, so that's, mm-hmm. that, that's one uh, limit. There are also sort of threats. Um, but, you know, depending on the context, you know, there are also, uh, you know, fraud, for instance, involves uh, speech. Uh, mm. And I think most, mo- I think most people would, would agree that, that fraud is something that should be, that should be punished. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's possible to, to, to say in every instance where the, the line should be drawn, but when it comes to sort of political speech, uh, and, and opinions, I, uh, I think that, um, I think in general, the line should be drawn at, at, uh, at, at imminent in, incitement to imminent, uh, lawless action, for instance. Yeah. So, uh, one of the stories that uh, you, you like, you, you talk a bit about, you know, like uh, Hitler and the rise of the Nazis, leading the Holocaust and all that. And I, I always think about this when it comes to censorship. But anyways, you tell a story, you'll probably tell a lot better than I do. You definitely do in the book. But anyways, uh, Hitler, uh, he kind of used his his experience being censored, right? His limit, like his his speech being limited as this kind of like, you know, oh, I'm the victim here. Look at them limiting our speech. But then it gives that person so much attention and power, then they become in control and then they can limit speech, right? So when I look at that, you know, the broader uh, or the the more current um, situations when we're talking about banning people, that's one of my main concerns, right? E- even with misinformation, when you push that person off a platform or whatever, it makes it, makes it seem like the person saying something true especially for conspiracy theorists and the way they think and everything like that oh you're censoring them because you're right so can you kind of explain that is there something that we can learn from that story um and do you see that happening or potentially happening like in modern times by censoring people yeah sure i mean it's it's what uh what's called the streisand effect so so barbara streisand wanted you know someone put a a picture of her I guess it was a Malibu home uh, mm-hmm. on the internet, and she she tried to have it removed, and then it just exploded and and was and was republished everywhere on on on, on the internet, and that's actually something that goes back to to ancient times. So, the the, the ancient Roman historian Tacitus wrote of of this historian who uh, who was uh, who who was convicted for treason for 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 writing a uh, a pro republican historical uh, treatise and uh, and he and then this historian's book was banned and and Tacitus uh, wrote that it was foolish to think that that banning ideas would would make them disappear instead that their authors would grow stronger now that is not always true um depending on on the level of censorship so i would say modern day china has taken censorship to such extremes that 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 probably censorship there is very efficient, um, but but it but it's certainly true in in many cases that that trying to 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 ban uh, certain people will at least to their supporters and uh, those already sympathetic to them mm. will will make them sort of martyrs. 
um, and it will also provide them more attention uh, and spread the ideas that you want to ban uh, further. Uh, and, and this was something that the, the Nazis used very cynically uh, during the Weimar Republic, where, where sort of uh, strongly anti-Semitic newspapers like Das Stürmer and uh, Der Eingriff by, by Julius Streicher and, and Josef Goebbels, respectively, were often um, brought in court and, 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 and uh, convicted for, for various uh, violations of press laws but used that very efficiently as a, as a, as a platform for, for martyrdom. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, even, uh, so, so there were a number of, of, of cases, for instance, against Julius Steiker, who, who, uh, was probably the most depraved, uh, anti-Semitic, uh, Nazi in, in history. Uh, so in 1929, he was convicted to two months of imprisonment for his sort of anti-Jewish uh, conspiracy theories, and then you know, less than a year later, the Nazis, uh, you know, uh, dramatically increased their share of the votes, uh, including in Nuremberg, the the, the town mm. where where Julius Streicher was convicted. Uh, so that that suggests that that um, you know, punishing him for his ideas was not a an efficient uh, remedy to uh, to, yeah. to counter his 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 depraved uh, ideas. Yeah, and you know, you you know. You could also go back to Socrates, you know, mm, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you were one of the, if you were one of the, uh, uh, of, of the Athenians who voted in favor of his guild and then subsequently in, uh, in, in voted for the death penalty because you thought his ideas were dangerous and you were sort of, uh, um, awoken from the dead and, and, and transported in back or in forward in, in, in time to, to our time, you know, you, you, you'd probably regret your your votes because, you know, the, the reputation of Socrates, uh, lives on strongly. And you could say the same thing with the, another, uh, very influential figure in, in, uh, in, in Western history, namely Jesus Christ, who, who, uh, whose crucifixion, uh, also did not end, uh, his, uh, his, his, uh, his ideas. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Based on the history, it doesn't seem. Like it's been uh, too effective, no, you know. Uh, it's it's it, it 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 probably you know if you were if you were uh, a Jew who were worried about this uh, new little uh, fringe sect uh, started by Jesus, or if you were a Roman saying you know who who is this guy? He's really become a nuisance. Uh, then uh, looking back at two thousand years later, it doesn't seem like it was the best strategy to. Uh, to crucify the guy because, uh, <laughs> yeah. because, 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 you know, the religion started in his name, uh, became the state religion of the, of the, of the Roman empire and, uh, and Christianity obviously has, uh, gained, uh, uh a lot of ad adherents and, and has accepted, uh, horrible revenge, revenge, I say in quotation marks uh, against Jews uh, yeah. with, with pogroms uh, ever since yeah. and, and of course grown much much more numerous than 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 Jews so so uh, from that perspective it was it was not the the smartest strategy yeah yeah so I I got a couple more questions for you Jacob and, and one of them uh, another big topic here in the states right now is uh, around books. Right, so last week they had this uh, story about uh, that book, Mouse, the uh, 
graphic novel and everything. I, but yeah, today I was reading an a, uh, a article about in Texas, they're getting rid of, you know, a bunch of books from like school libraries and everything. And somebody I was, uh, you know, going back and forth with talking about this on Twitter today brought up an is- interesting point because I'm like, you know, for me, I'm like, hey, like, let's be mindful of, you know, like, like censoring like books or taking books off shelves and, you know, all that stuff. But then there's the component of what's appropriate for children, right? So you have free speech, but then you also have like age appropriateness. And I'm curious, you know, where, where are the, uh, you know, the debates around that when it comes to free speech, right? Because uh, it's almost like free speech applies to us as adults with few, uh, like, you know, hopefully fully developed like brains at our age, like, and we're mature, but for kids, are there certain ideas that, you know, shouldn't be presented at that young age? Is there a whole, maybe there's a whole sector of free speech for kids that I don't know about. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what, what should we be thinking about in that regard? Yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously there are different standards for, for, for kids and, and adults. You know, I, uh, I have two children aged nine and 12 and, you know, mm. I have uh, social media blockers on their, yeah. on their uh on their screens uh and uh and and obviously i i, I tell them the things that that they're not allowed to to watch um but i'm i i actually am very worried uh about sort of the the onslaught of laws targeting k-12 but even into higher education that are sort of aimed broadly against uh what some call critical race theory that that sort of seeks to ban the the teaching or promotion of of divisive concepts uh, related to to race or or gender or even history mm-hmm. um I, I think that sort of has become the uh, the republican or conservative version of of cancel culture but 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 this time backed up by state power which which i think is quite worrying no what, worries. What, I can, one I second. Can edit that I, I, out. Don't worry. Okay. One, one thing. I just have to. Hello. Uh. Yes. Please. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I. That no was, worries. Uh, that was the lobby. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. So. 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 Uh, I. I think. I think that's. Uh, I think that's very uh, problematic, and I think it goes these 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 bills tend to to go much further than 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 merely sort of uh protecting kids uh against uh awful stuff uh, i think they are ideologically motivated and and uh and 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 a dangerous turn yeah yeah for sure and you know speaking of uh you know one of my last questions i actually just finished uh rereading uh the coddling of the american mind which you kind of touch on in uh, your book, and you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, as these kids are turning into young adults and going to college and stuff, um, there's there's kind of been this uh, perception that speech uh, can can mean harm, right? So that that seems like for me that when when we get into that kind of uh, conversation, saying that words can cause harm, I think you touched on this book, but there's uh, research where, you know, there, there are more people saying that, you know, sometimes violence might be justified to shut down a conversation. And 
And I keep I keep wondering about this because we've been in the pandemic for two years, but I always think I'm like, oh, seems like colleges haven't been freaking out as much, but maybe it's just because they've been online. But I, I remember just, you know, two, three, four years ago, there were like college campuses where there was like riots and destruction and all these things just yeah. so people wouldn't come. So, so yeah, what, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, us as parents or on college campuses, but how do we, how do we deal with this issue of people seeing speech as harm? Because once it crosses that threshold, then a lot of things seem justified. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, the, the use of violence, um, uh, to, to counter speech in, in open democracies, um, and, and academic institutions is something that, uh, is, uh, cannot be justified. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a dangerous turn when you think that the mere expression of opinions legitimizes you to, to use violence also because it tends to, to set off, you know, a, a race to the gutter because, uh, you know, that, that gives an incentive to the other side to also use, uh, use violence rather than, than settle your, your conflicts through speech. And, and in many ways, I, I think of free speech as the antithesis of violence. You know, it's, it's really a, a principle which has allowed human beings who differ fundamentally about uh, 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 about the good society, about fun, uh, f- uh, about foundational values, to still live uh, side by side and 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 agree mm. to disagree and compromise and 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 uh, carve out you know viable options that that uh, that everyone can live with or at least live uh, live with knowing that they, you know they have a chance to try and convince others to change course or to change uh, uh, have persuade political uh, leaders to, to, to change course. So, so in that sense, uh, you know, even though we sometimes think of, of, of free speech as something that encourages violence, I would, I would say that in many ways it, it is uh, actually essential in, in limiting violence because, because it, it, uh, it provides an incentive to, to, uh, and, and a possibility for, for settling our, uh, most fundamental disputes peacefully. Yeah, no, very, very well said. I think that's a, a great one to end on. So yeah, Jacob, thank you so much. Uh, I'm glad we we're able to connect and I, I'm super glad I was able to read an early copy of this book. So uh, for everybody listening, uh, two questions, where can they find you and keep up to date with your work and what you're doing? And yeah, when's the book coming out and where can people find it? Yeah, so the book is out on uh, February eighth uh, by Basic Books. So if you go to 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 Basic Books uh, or any other online uh, vendor of, of of books, you can you can get it there. Both I think uh, in a, a physical copy, Kindle, ebook, uh, audiobook. Um, cool. And uh, if you want to uh, follow my updates on Twitter, it's J M C H A N G A M A. That's my my Twitter handle. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I hope, uh, uh, some of you will consider, uh, getting the book. And, uh, if so, I'd, I'd love to hear your feedback. Yeah. Awesome. I will definitely link all that stuff down in the description below. So yeah, Jacob, thank you again so much for your time and, and yeah, when you write your next book, uh, maybe we'll be doing this again. 
I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jakob about his brand new book. And yeah, I, I hope, you know, you took some things away from it, uh, from that conversation and understand why it's important that, you know, we let people, you know, speak and we have to battle bad ideas with good ideas. And listen, I can't stress this enough. And I say it all the time, but I never know how a good way to say it. But it feels like you know, uh, especially when it comes to misinformation, it feels like we want to censor uh, misinformation and stuff to protect dumb people. All right. And I don't like saying it that way. There's probably a better way to phrase it. So if you have a better way for me to phrase this, make sure you tweet at me or maybe hit me up in DM. So uh, I don't get some mob coming after me like Chris said people are dumb. But <laughs> but yeah. We, we we have to battle those ideas because, you know, uh, the backfire effect, it, it is real from my experience. And, you know, when we censor people, when we kick people like uh, as crazy as Alex Jones off of social media, it just makes his followers be like, oh, yep, he was right. He's absolutely right. And they're trying to, you know, they're trying to censor him because he's speaking truth. And that's the last thing that we uh, want to have happen. All right. So make sure uh, you check out uh, Jakob's book and, you know, understand the history of free speech. Because like I said, I can't stress this enough. When you understand the history of this and, and how it's just, you know, how free speech is just this amazing, just incredible right. Like when you when you hear about people like legitimately like getting killed, like beheaded back in the day for saying stuff that people didn't like, you're like, dang, it's pretty dope that we're able to say stuff, you know? So it's something that we all need to fight for. So make sure you uh, you check out uh, Jakob's book. Down in the description below, I've linked his book as well as his Twitter. Make sure you go follow him. Uh, he's doing a bunch of awesome work. I'm super glad to have somebody, you know, from outside of the United States uh, who can, uh, you know, educate me a little bit about how, you know, what free speech is like in other countries and how this is more of like a global thing because there's a lot of places around the world where they don't have the luxury of free speech that we have here in the united states all right but before i let you go if you're not yet make sure you're following me over on instagram and twitter at the rewired soul if you're new follow the podcast and two things that you could do absolutely free that help support the podcast uh share share this episode if you thought that Jakob and i had a good conversation if you thought this is something that people can benefit from share this conversation over on social media. And the second thing you can do is leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Both of these things help out a ton. Not only does it spread the word, but the algorithms love it, all right? But a few other things uh, that uh, help out a lot. Uh, you can head over to the rewiredsoul.com. I have self-published a few books on mental health, but also uh, about my experience being canceled on YouTube, which is what really got me interested in the topic of free speech, anti-censorship, and stuff like that. Uh, another thing you could do, if you want episodes early like this one, some of you are listening to it a day early, head over to the Rewired Soul Substack. It's linked down in the description. Five bucks a month or $50 for the year. You help support what I'm doing and you get all of the regular episodes a day early. Okay. And lastly, lastly, there's an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Mental health is a huge, huge part of my life. And BetterHelp has saved my butt, especially when I was going through my cancellation. Uh, you work with a licensed therapist. It's affordable. It's online. Uh, you can like pick your therapist based on what you're specifically struggling with. And sometimes 
almost like you don't need like a diagnosable mental illness. It's just always good. Like if I could, I'd get everybody into therapy. So if you're interested, check out that uh, that link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy uh, down in the description. All right. So another huge thanks to Jakob for coming on to chat about his book, A History of the Free Speech. Follow him, grab a copy of the book. And yeah, I have one more episode coming for you uh, this week. All right, so make sure that you stay tuned. It is with Todd Cashton about his brand new book that actually just dropped this week called The Art of Insubordination. We had an awesome conversation. Stay tuned for that. But yeah, other than that, have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you next time.